0: Well, thank you to all of you that have helped us worship this morning, and our worship continues as we continue through this wonderful letter to the Hebrews. And if you're not already open, I'd encourage you to open up to Hebrews chapter 12. It's inside your bulletin. If you'd like to look there, we're really going to be focusing just on one verse. It's going to take us a while to get there. I'm going to start out with uh, an illustration that I hope will be helpful today, an illustration that some of you english People will like, alright? So if you're in the English lit, especially British lit, then hopefully you'll like this, okay? I have a quote up on the screen. I read it. What's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other word would smell as sweet. Now, if that was put on an English test, I think many of you would know the author and the play. Is that correct? The play? Romeo and Juliet, good. Donna knew that, right? And it's one of Shakespeare's plays. What does that mean? What's in a name? That which we call the rose by any other word which smells sweet. What does that mean? D- does that mean that names don't matter? You know, you could have like a little toy poodle and name it Killer, right? <laughs> You could have a German shepherd watchdog and name it Fluffy. It doesn't matter. Is that what that means? And I suppose you could say yes, but that's not what Shakespeare intended. If you want to know the meaning of a phrase, you need to consider it in context. So if I were to ask you, what does that quote mean in context? And I'm certainly not a a Shakespeare uh, individual, but I know a little bit about it. And in context, it's talking about the fact that two people should be able to get married even if their families have historically been at war with one another. That's what that means. It's not saying it's okay to name your little toy poodle killer, okay? Okay. It's talking about the fact that two people, allegedly, I'm not saying I agree with this, two people should be able to get married if they want to because what's in a name, so what if their families have been at war with one another for quite a long time? You say, okay, so what's the point of that principle or that illustration? That to really understand something, we need to do more than understand the words, we need to do more than understand the source we need to actually understand the context. Let's take today's text we're going to focus on. Pursue peace with everyone and holiness. Without it, no one will see the Lord. Now for a Christian, somebody who's familiar with the Bible, they might say, you know, I, I know that's in the Bible somewhere. And for some of you, you might even be able to identify it. You would say, Greg, that's Hebrews 12.14. That's correct, and I have it up in the Holman Christian Standard Uh, just to help us this morning. What does that verse mean? You know, you might say, well, pursue peace, so you ought to be like just super nice to everybody, don't fight with people, just don't be that way. And then also, you know, holiness, just try to be a holy person. And those are generally true. And you could say that's what the verse means, or you could ask, is there a context to the verse that would actually help me understand better what's going on in this text? This is a text I've preached on. In fact, uh, for those of you that listen to sermons online, if you go to sermonaudio.com, I don't have a lot of them because I'm just not... It's not that good. I have a small number of sermons that have been listed a very high number of times, and one of them is a sermon I preached a long time ago on this verse, and it's called, Holiness is Not an Option. And I think what I said in that sermon is accurate, but it really didn't deal with the context at all. And this verse, in the last couple of weeks... Is just lit up in my mind, because I not only understand the, what the words mean, I understand the best I know why they were written in Hebrews 12. You say, Greg, so what do you think is the context of this verse? Um, a lot of commentators would see it differently than the way I see it. And a lot of commentators will say Hebrews 12, 14 is cut off from the previous context. We're beginning some general admonitions that are just coming as we get more towards the end of a letter. I would like to push back against that, and I'm convinced that this verse actually has everything to do with the rest of Hebrews chapter 12. You say, why is that? Look at the verse, pursue peace with everyone. And holiness without it, no one will see the Lord. What is the word pursuing? Well, I looked up the word pursue. Uh, a lexicon is just an, uh, another name for a dictionary. It's kind of a language-specific dictionary. And the word pursue, this is a quote out of what we call BDAG, standard lexicon. To move rapidly and decisively toward an objectation, Run. Press on. Hebrews 12 is all about running the race that is set before you, looking unto Jesus. And fourteen, verse 14 says, Pursue. Run. Press on. I'm thinking, hey, this sounds like the same context. And then I go another verse. I look at verse 15. And we're not going to look at that verse specifically today, but I just pointed out verse 15 says see to it that no one comes short of the grace of god what does the word come short mean it means to miss out on something through one's own fault to miss to fail to reach like a runner who begins a race and it gets too hard and he's too tired and he says no more race for me i'm going back home verse 15 is in the context of what comes before we're all in a wraith and then if i leave these two lexical examples if i could use that term i look at the second half of verse 15 and it says that no root of bitterness bitterness why would hebrews talk about bitterness what's hebrews all about these are christians And they're followers of Christ, but they're from a Jewish background. And their Jewish friends and neighbors are persecuting them. And they're saying, quit this Jesus stuff. And some of them are thinking about turning their back on Jesus and going back. They're bitter over the things that are happening. Lord, like, don't you love me? I mean, why are all these bad things happening to me? I'm one of your kids, Lord. You got this wrong. And there's a temptation for the Hebrews to be bitter. I look at pursue, I look at the word come short, and I look at the idea of bitterness, and I'm thinking, chapter 12, Hebrews, verse 14, is no change of context we are talking about a verse that's in the context of what we've been talking about the last few weeks. So I want to review, and Lord willing, I'll do it quickly. What is the context of Hebrews 12? And I'm not even going to read verses 1 through 11. I I'm going to pop up real quick the points that we reviewed the last time. And just as a reminder, The race is a picture of the Christian life. So I have a lot of pictures, more than I typically would use in a sermon. You say, what is Hebrews 12 all about? Let's do a quick review, right? First of all, what do you do when life gets hard? You keep running. You keep running. Don't grow weary and lose heart, verse 3. Just keep running. There's a brother here this morning. He's been going through some challenges. He met me in the hallway In the lobby, he said, Greg, life has been difficult, and I've even asked myself this week, what should I do? And the answer came right to me. I know what to do. Keep running. That's always God's answer. Keep following Jesus. Don't grow weary. Don't lose heart. You say, how though? That was our second point. How do you keep running? You lay aside everything that slows you down, and you stay focused on Jesus right? What does that word in verse 2 mean? It talks about looking away from everything else and looking to Jesus. That's in the Nazi, fixing our eyes on Jesus. And then verse 3, consider him. That means focus on Jesus. So what do I do? I always keep following Jesus no matter what. How do I do it? I set aside what slows me down and I stay focused. You say, but if God's my father, why is life so hard? One word. Discipline. God is disciplining us. And in previous messages, these are all online, don't think chastisement. I know that's the King James translation. That is only one narrow slice of the word. The word can mean education. The word can mean training. It's a football coach saying, go and run a lap. He's not punishing you. He's trying to make you stronger so that you can win the ball game. That's the word discipline. God brings trials into our lives so that we would be more equipped to do His will. And so we shouldn't underreact, verse 5, right? Don't count it a light thing. Don't regard lightly the discipline. And don't overreact. Don't faint. You say, okay, so what is why is the Lord disciplining us? Verse 10 is so wonderful to me. So encouraging. It's always for my good. He never does it to hurt me. It's always to help me. And the second part of verse 10 gives us the reason that we might share his holiness. That's always why hard times come into your life. And then finally, does it have to hurt so much? Like, why do I have to suffer And verse 11 says, it does hurt, but it leads to a fruitful life. So that's a quick, real quick review of the context of Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 11, beginning in verse 12, is the counseling session. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, okay, now that you got all this down, I want to counsel you, and we covered these first two points last time. So let's kind of just pick it up in verse 12. I'll do a quick review and then we'll get to something new, Lord willing, today. Hebrews chapter 12, the counseling session begins in verse 12. And what's the first point? Get back in the race. Notice verse 12. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak. Weak means falling down. Your hands are just like, ah, I don't want to run anymore. And people get that way. I don't want to follow Jesus anymore. Don't want to read my Bible. Don't want to pray. Don't want to go to church. Lord, why is life so hard? And I'm just like, no. And what does the author say? This is counseling time. Lift up. The word strengthened means lift up the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. Get back in the race. So here's a person. And now she's back on track. And she's lifted up her hands and she's up erect again. And she says, Now I'm going to get back in my race. And you say, How do you do that? It's not willpower. It's not mind over matter. It's not CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, okay? It is the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit who helps us to understand the first 11 verses that, Lord, I'm in a race and these trials are part of your discipline. And you're doing something good in my life. You're making me more like Jesus. And even though I hate the process and I hate the pain, I know you're my father and you love me and you're doing something good. It's like going to the gym. No pain, no gain. And it's good for us. So once you think about that and you pray about it and God works in your heart, you get back in the race. And then notice the second half here. Of verse 12, or actually into verse 3. And make straight, 13 rather, verse 13, and make straight paths for your feet, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. That was our second point we covered last time. Stay in your lane. Once you get back on track, it's not like, okay, Lord, I am up, I am out of the house. I am going to start my Christianity again. I am going to continue to follow Jesus, but I'm doing it my way. And the writer of Hebrews says, no, you don't do it your way. The Frank Sinatra song is wrong. Right? We submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. We follow His Word. This is the way. Walk ye in it. And just like it's a quote from Proverbs chapter 4, verse 26, we make straight paths for our feet. Verse 13 And so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. It's the idea we're not going to waver off into sin and end up with dislocated limbs. But now that we're back in the race and we're running, we're going to stay in our lane. That's review. That's the context. And I am arguing that verse 14 fits this context perfectly and I'm going to do my best to show you what it means in context in a way that I have never seen before and in a way that's going to be challenging for some of you to accept. I'm just being completely honest. Let's look at the text. I read verse 14. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. You say, what's going on in this text? I'm going to call it pursue peace. It's obvious. The word pursue, you know that, right? It means to run after. And you're clearly focused on it. Peace is the absence of conflict. So the verse says to pursue peace with who? With all men. And many commentators will say probably that doesn't mean all men it probably means one another and probably we should take it in the context of other passages that encourages us not, not to fight with other Christians and I've read in more than one commentary it's probably just like Romans 14 19 we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another so let's not fight in the church. Let's get along. Is that good advice? Yes. Is that biblical? Romans 14, 19. Is that the context of Hebrews 12? No. Hebrews 12 is not written to a church that's fighting. Hebrews is written to a church that's being Persecuted by unbelieving Jews, and the believers are thinking about going back to Judaism. That is a very different context. So, in this text, I am going to stay literally with the words of the text. Pursue peace with who? With all men. You say, Who are these people? Who are the all men? The people that you don't want to be at peace with. There is conflict in your mind with them. In fact, you're tempted to be bitter against them. Next week's message. They are the people who sin against you. So I'm going to take the context of Hebrews 12 to be helping me to realize when I'm running my Christian race and people sin against me, that I am to seek to be at peace with those who sin against me. Those who have hurt me, even as people have hurt the Hebrew believers. You say, give me, Greg, a a reminder of how were the Hebrews being sinned against. Just one. Back in chapter 10, verses 32 through 34, the author says you endured a great conflict of sufferings partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated for you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property. Some of them had been thrown into prison. Some of them had their property taken. And guys, when you went to prison in, back in the day, it wasn't like here's your clothes, a bed, and three meals. The prison did not care for you. So if we have a believer, a brother who's thrown in prison, he gets no clothing and no food unless we bring it to him. And every time we visit him... Then everybody else knows, oh, you're one of them too. And maybe we'll persecute you too. It's a very dangerous thing to do. This is the kind of persecution that the Hebrews were facing. And the author says, pursue peace with all men, including those who sin against you. You say, Why wouldn't you? Because it's not normal. I want you to think about someone who sinned against you. I want you to think, if it's not too painful, and I say that sincerely, I want you to think of someone who's hurt you in a great way. And I want you to find that thought sifted through the truth of this text. This verse is saying you should pursue peace, meaning don't seek revenge with that person. That, that's clearly what the Bible teaches us in many passages. How about Romans 12, 17 through 18? Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men, if possible. So far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never pay back evil for evil. Hey, I know what he did to me, so what I'm going to do is, and that's a very normal, natural feeling, for someone who hasn't yet grasped the truth of Hebrews. You say, what is the truth of Hebrews? Let me finish that quote a little farther, verses 19 through 20. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him, and if he's thirsty, give him a drink, for in so doing you'll heap burning coals on his head. And then verse 21, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You don't seek revenge, you don't become bitter, But you pursue peace with all men, including people that have sinned against you. Now, here's the part that's going to be hard, but I'm convinced, beloved, if you get a handle on this, it'll change your life. Pursue peace with all men, including those who sin against you, as instruments of your loving, heavenly Father's discipline. The person who hurt you is an instrument of your heavenly Father. That person who hated you and misused you and slandered you and abused you has no idea that they were in the hand of your loving, heavenly Father who is disciplining you through the pain. That's Hebrews chapter 12 in context. Every single trial in my life is discipline whether it's my flight being canceled on my way to my dad's funeral I mentioned that the last couple of weeks and many of you have faced things that are much worse than that I want you to think of the word instrument what does that mean it means its being used by someone See, that person who sinned against you, they didn't know it. But God was actually using them like a skillful surgeon with a knife. When my wife Nancy was diagnosed with cancer, and that skillful surgeon the best surgeon for that kind of cancer in the entire southeast, you say, how would you know that? Because he told us. Okay. Yeah. I thought that was cute too. Okay. He took, I believe the word is a scalpel, a knife, and he cut into Nancy to pull out a piece of flesh. And he found out what that was connected with, and he cut her again to pull out a lymph node so that he could send it for testing. And praise God, it tested clear. Because the doctor said, if that cancer, which is very bad, is in that lymph node, we immediately are doing radical chemo. If the lymph node's clear, I think we're good. He cuts her twice She is in pain, beloved. She is bleeding. And then they stitch her up and it hurts. You say, Greg, why would anyone do that to your wife? It was for her good. Why would God allow us to go through some of the things that some of us have experienced in life? That's what Hebrews 12 is all about. My sons, you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons, whom the Lord loves, He disciplines. It is God loving us, changing us, and making us more like the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we suffer. That's why even though we are his children, very hurtful, painful, difficult things happen in our lives. That's Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. And I know we've used this example more than once, but it's just so incredibly applicable. Joseph, in chapter 50 of Genesis, verse 20, sees his brothers who sinned against him. Quote, As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. Yes, they did mean evil against him. But God was using those brothers as a surgeon uses a scalpel to do something good in Joseph's life. And Nancy reminded me of this just this past week. We were talking about this illustration. Our previous pastor, Dr. Custer, whenever he would come to Genesis, he would mention, "Why did Joseph have to suffer?" And the answer is because he wasn't ready to lead a nation yet. He was going to lead the nation of Egypt, number two, in command unto Pharaoh, but he was not yet ready. Just like, you know what? When football season begins, guys, we're not ready yet, and coach says, go run a lap, and I say, I don't want to run a lap, and coach says, good, run it anyway, and I'm tempted to say, you don't love me, and coach would never say, I love you, because football coaches don't say that, okay, but he would say, i got to watch my words, be quiet and go run a lap, okay, and it was for my good when you think of something that's happened to you that's hurtful that's what i want you to think about that's what will save you from bitterness next week's message and that's what will encourage you because too many christians do not understand this. They've listened to bad preaching on television, and they've been taught if you believe in Jesus, you could have your best life ever. And they're thinking, good, I'm born again. Everything's going to be awesome. And they suffer, and they say, God, you don't love me. Where are you? And I had enough of this. And no more church, no more Bible, no more prayer, no more Jesus. I used to be like one of those born-again people. No more. Because they never understood what Hebrews is helping us to understand. This brings many questions to mind. Okay? And there are so many questions that could come to your mind. I want to address some of them. Because I don't want anyone to come to wrong conclusions. I've been teaching for many years. And I am used to teaching something and having students come up to me after. Dr. Mazak, there is no way that's true because then this is true. And I have to say, okay, actually that's not accurate. And then we have to have clarifications. Let me hit a couple clarifications about our loving Heavenly Father who's using sinful men to discipline us. Again, I'll use myself. I have been sinned against in great ways that I don't talk about And the individual who did that was in the hand of my heavenly Father. And God's going to use it as good in my life. Yet, be careful. A couple things we need to do. Number one, first of all, God is not the author of evil. You say, Greg, if this is true, then God is the one who makes people do evil. He's the author of evil. Well, that would be simply incorrect on many different levels how about psalm 54 but you are not a god who takes pleasure in wickedness he doesn't how about psalm 92:15 there is no unrighteousness in him and how about flipping the coin it's not only true that he's not evil he's absolutely good i love james 1:17 every good gift every good thing given every perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights with whom there's no variation or shifting shadow shadows change shadows are always changing God never changes God is always good when a surgeon was cutting Nancy God was good and when someone was sinning against me in a very big way God was good but that doesn't mean that a person's sin is God's fault God is not the author of evil. And some people would say, okay, so God maybe is not the author of evil, Greg, but he's tempting people to sin. That's also not accurate. Number two, God never tempts anyone to sin. God's never tempted you to sin. God's never tempted me to sin. And the person who sinned against you, God did not tempt them to sin because James 1.13 makes that clear. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. So we can't come to the conclusion that God is making people sin, or even that God is tempting people to sin. You say, okay. Then are people responsible for the choices they make? Yes. People are responsible and accountable for their sin. I was talking to someone yesterday about this very truth. Even though God is sovereign over all things, I am responsible for the choices I make, and I am accountable for the choices I make, including my sin, right? Ezekiel 18.20. The person whose sins will die. Now, we're not going to go through the context of Ezekiel 18. I preached on this a couple years back. But you can't say, well, my mother, well, my father kind of... Well, I'm from a home where... No, 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 no. The person who sins will die. The righteousness of the righteous will be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked will be upon himself. The Bible is very big, guys. We are personally responsible, and we are personally accountable. And no, I didn't say it doesn't matter what happened to you. It does matter. But I'm saying, even though what happened to you... All of the bad things matters. You are responsible for how you respond to the sin of others. And the Bible's crystal clear on that. And then finally, number four, and some of you might go, where's this one coming from? Number four, God uses government to punish evil. I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. See, I'm making the point that Hebrews is arguing that our loving Heavenly Father uses all the tough stuff in life to discipline us. And then we have verse 14 that says, Pursue peace with all men. In context, people who sin against us. And you may be hearing something this text does not say. You say, What do you mean? The Bible is very clear that God uses government to punish evil, Romans 13.4. For government is God's servant for your good, but if you do wrong, be afraid. Because it does not carry the sword for no reason. For government is God's servant. Second time, first line, fourth line. Government is God's servant and avenger, keyword, that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. The word avenger there. It's the idea of justice being done to a person, it's the idea of punishment, it's the idea of it is God's will for criminals to be punished. So you might be hearing something that's not in Rome, excuse me Hebrews 12:14. You say Greg what are you talking about? That God is sovereign. He is. And even people who sin against you are in his hand as instruments. They are. And God's going to use that in your life as discipline. He will. And he will use it for your good so that you may share his holiness. And we'll visit that in just a little bit. So that means I would never call law enforcement. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. You know, I can't be overly specific, but I've been involved in more than one or two situations where someone engages in criminal behavior and Pastor Greg gets a call and you say, what do you do? Dial 911, I'm on my way. I have been in court testifying so that people who have committed crimes would be incarcerated. And I believe that's biblical. So you you pick your illustration, I'll just pick one. Marriage situation, either way, and it does go both ways, and someone physically abuses another person, you immediately report, the police are immediately called, and I'll support you i will make the call. And I will meet them when they come. And I will visit the attorney with you. And yes, I have done that with Nancy. And I will go to court and testify. And yes, I've done that in court. And this verse does not mean, hey, maybe I did something criminal, but come on, it's really not that big of a deal because it says, be at peace with all men. No, it's saying, don't take revenge. Don't take revenge, but turn it over to law enforcement. You don't have to be bitter. And if this helps you at all, you say, what does that look like? I have actually testified against someone And then once he's incarcerated, I read the Bible to him over the speaker through the glass as I share the gospel with him, and I'm the guy who testified against him. Not angry at him. He deserves to be in jail. And I share Jesus with him. This is the proper understanding. So there's many other nuances. Maybe you might have other questions, but I I hope these four big ones help. This verse does not mean that criminals shouldn't be punished and that if a person hurts me, it would be wrong to call law enforcement. That is not what the text is saying. What it's saying is this. No matter what you've experienced, and some of you have experienced some very hard things, and I too have. But now I'm so encouraged by this verse in context. That that person who sinned against me had no idea that my loving, heavenly Father is going to use it to discipline me so that I could be more like Jesus. That's 14a, pursue peace with all men. And now just the second half of verse 14, our fourth and final point, and we're finished. And also pursue sanctification, without which no one will see the Lord. You say, what, what's going on with pursuing sanctification? What, what, what's going on in this text? Well, it's the idea of holiness. The word sanctification, same word is holiness. You say, what aspect of holiness? Some of you know we talk about different aspects of holiness this is not talking about positional sanctification you got that when you put your faith in christ this is not talking about ultimate sanctification we sometimes call that glorification that'll happen when you see christ this is talking about progressive sanctification so here in the text when it says pursue sanctification without which no one will see the lord pursue sanctification why would the author of hebrews saying say that because that's the whole reason your loving heavenly father is disciplining you he is helping you become more like jesus and now we're right back to what we've talked about again in the last ver- uh, sermon or two romans 8:28 and 29 we know that god causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. In context, the definition of good is conformity to the image of Jesus. What Romans eight twenty eight 28 and 29 is teaching is the same thing, guys, that Hebrews chapter 12 is teaching. That I have a heavenly Father, and He uses painful circumstances in my life, To discipline me for my good. It's verse 10. So that we may share his holiness. But the text adds a little bit something at the end. Notice it says here at the very end of the text in verse 14. The sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. What does that mean? Holiness is the evidence of your Christianity. Christianity. How does a person know that I'm a Christian? Because my life has changed. My life is a lot different. I'm so blessed to have my former pastor here visiting. He was my pastor 40 years ago, youth pastor, what have you. You say, Greg, has your life changed since you were a college student? Yes, Now I want to be careful. It should change more, and I'm not even close to what I should be, but I praise God I'm not what I used to be. And the evidence that we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit and have truly experienced the miracle of regeneration is that there is holiness that is taking place in our lives. You say, I want to be more holy. Of course you do. Every Christian does. You say, how does that happen? Through discipline. Through Suffering, And that's why the title of the message is Counsel for Suffering Believers. And what God, beloved, is doing in our lives is He's changing us and He uses the sin of other people against us to help us to become more like the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what's going on here in this text. Okay? I used an illustration with Nance, physical. I'll use an illustration of myself a while ago, not recent, and not church-related. I wouldn't use it. There is a gentleman... He's a pastor, and he falsely accused me of doing something. Not a moral issue. You're not hurting anyone, okay? So I don't want you to go in that direction. But he falsely accused me. He set up a meeting with me. He told me what I did, and he demanded I repent. I listened to what he had to say. When he was done, I said, okay, are you finished? And he said, Yes. I said, you're wrong. You're wrong. He said, you are so proud and arrogant, you won't even confess your sin. And he went and got a number of other people and brought them all together. For some reason, he was angry at me. So, you say, Greg, what did you do? It was a very difficult time. I grabbed a number of people roughly equal to the number that he grabbed who knew the truth. And I brought them. And he never said, okay, I was wrong. He simply said, I'll drop it. So he dropped it. And that's where it stayed. He's still in ministry today. You say, Greg, why in the world did that happen? Who here is listening well and can give me the answer in one word? Shout it out. Discipline, thank you. Do you know I didn't know that at the time? Nancy and I uh, spent more than a few nights up late talking because we're not sure what's going to happen. And we might be coming to end of ministry if this guy pursues it and continues to slander me. And again, it was nothing moral. And it was a challenging time. I did not understand this text at the time. Now if you ask me, Greg, was it good for you? It was very good. It was very good. You say, how do you know it was good? Because I read Hebrews 12. And Hebrews 12 says, verse 10, that God's going to use it for good in my life, and that good is that I would share His holiness. And I believe God's word is true. So now when I see that man, and I'll be honest, it didn't happen immediately. Now when I see him, I no longer have incredible anger. I don't know if I want to use the word hatred. But I no longer have incredible anger towards him. And I now look at him, maybe something like my wife would look at a knife. It's not fun. It's not enjoyable. I wouldn't want to go through that again. Thank you. And he has no idea of what's going on, that I'd be using this as an illustration. But Hebrews 12, guys, is just working in my heart. And now I realize, God, I am your child. I'm your son. And you're disciplining me. And that's why he falsely slandered me. And he doesn't even know that you were using him. But you were. And you're changing me. And you're helping me. And I'm grateful. I'm not grateful for the pain. But I'm grateful for the result. So I want to close by asking you, talking to Christians. Now, if you're not a Christian, this doesn't apply. If you're not a Christian, you need to come to know Jesus. But I talk to brothers and sisters. Who has hurt you? I mean, who has really treated you wrongly? It may have been in a church. It may have been in a Christian school. Maybe your kids, parents. For some of you, it's your spouse. Who is it that has hurt you deeply? And you're, Lord, I still don't get it. It's so wrong. If I could hurt that person, I would. Would you rethink that in reality, brothers and sisters in Christ, God is actually using that person in a way that he or she doesn't even understand? God is using that sinful person's sinful treatment of you. For good that you might oh, remember the disclaimers, the clarifications that doesn't mean it's okay, that doesn't mean they get a pass that doesn't mean God did it and if it's criminal, that doesn't mean they don't go to jail okay so let's set that aside. God is going to use and is using all of that pain to help you become more like Jesus. That is incredibly encouraging to me. Because now I can look at that pastor and say, Lord, you used him in a way that he doesn't understand. And even though I hated going through it, Lord, I get it. It's just like coach telling me, go run another lap. I never liked it in football. But I knew it was the best thing for me. Lord, verse 10, you're helping me to become more like Jesus. I pray by God's grace, He will help you to see this verse, Hebrews 12, 14, in context. Why? So you can keep running your race. Keep following Jesus. Hey, what's in her ears? We talked about this last time, guys. What's in her ears? Earbuds! What is she listening to? Anybody remember? She's listening to the Bible. You say, how do you know that? Because I know it. She has the same app that we're all using to read our Bibles every day. You say, what's your point? You can't think this way in your own strength bitterness is the most natural emotion for any human being but by god's grace if i counsel myself uh, dale encouraged us before we sang one of the songs this morning sing and counsel yourself and in my heart i was saying amen we have to keep repeating truth to ourselves Just like this runner. Remember, run the race that is set before you. And she's not the only one. And that's not the only way. Just one more runner. Look at her ears. She has her earbuds on. Now these are a little older. Hers aren't Bluetooth. They have the cord. That'll work. Okay? You say, what is she listening to? She's listening to sermons. You say, where at? One of these two websites probably, right? TrinityBibleGreer.org, every sermon that's preached at Trinity, you can listen. You say, Greg, you're just plugging your sermons. Go to SermonAudio.com. We all need to be listening to sermons. You say, you preach, do you listen? Yes. During the week, I'm listening to sermons. Not so I can tell you, but because I need to. I need to be counseled from God's Word so that every time something evil happens to me, God can remind me, hey Greg, you still belong to me, you're my kid, I still love you, I'm doing something, I know it hurts, but just remember, it's like going through surgery, you're going to become more like Jesus, and this is good. None of us think that way by ourselves. Even hearing this sermon is not going to do it for you. But if you continue, beloved, to go through this again, and again, and again, then God's Spirit will work. And by His grace, you don't have to be bitter over anything that's happened to you. And you don't have to ask the questions I used to ask, why did He do that? Now I know He meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And thus, by God's grace, what will happen? We will continue to run our race. We'll continue to follow Jesus. And then, to this I hold. My hope is only Jesus. All the glory evermore to him. When the race is complete, still my lips shall repeat. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. And it's not your effort, and it's not your self-discipline. It's the power of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit that lives within you that will continue to preach this to you. And when you come to the end of your race, as you continue to follow Jesus, you're going to continue to say, Lord, I believe in you. In the midst of all of the pain, in all of the challenges, in all of the sufferings, I will continue to follow Jesus, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Let's pray. Father, we've opened up to one verse primarily that you have used in my life in recent times, this last few weeks, in ways that I thank You for. It's encouraged me. It's helped me. And I thank You. I thank You for the Holy Spirit who has opened my mind to the truth of Your Word and has counseled me even as I reflect on some of the things that I have suffered in life. And Lord, I know if Your Spirit is able to do that in my life, that He is able to do that in the lives of others. Lord, there are people in this room and they're struggling. They're Your children, Father, And they have suffered in incredibly great ways, and they hurt, and they're struggling to actually embrace the truth of Hebrews 12.14 in context. to actually believe that you are using this for discipline to bring about good, which is that they would share your holiness. Lord, thank you that you're compassionate. Thank you that you're kind. Thank you, you know how much we struggle. And I pray those still that you'd help them for every one of my brothers and sisters struggling, that you would, through your Spirit, just light up their minds with the truth of the Scripture. Lord, give them supernatural clarity and comfort that they would continue to follow Christ Until their race is complete, not in their own strength, but through Christ who dwells within them. Please help them. Help us all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.